Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are a Star Trek discussion podcast and we are not Klingons, but we are sisters. We are the Duras Sisters. This is our first stab at our podcast and we wanted to tell you a little bit about ourselves before we get going. Um, I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) So our story with Star Trek begins way back in childhood. Um, We started watching Star Trek just sort of glancing at it while it was on TV, reruns with our dad. I remember seeing this crazy robot thing, clearly on a string, just like drifting towards this guy in a yellow shirt. And I was like, you know, this seems like the show for me. Yep. And you know, really, the thing about Star Trek for me is, not to sound corny, but it really shaped a lot of the person that I am today the woman that I am today, seeing women in science, seeing women getting to have these same conversations as men mm-hmm. in ways that, sure, maybe original series wasn't as great at it, but they had a hura, they had all of these strong female characters, and it just kept getting better from there. And I think that seeing myself represented in that way was so important for me as like a little middle schooler who was getting bullied for being a nerd. So I think that that is a huge part of why I love Star Trek so much. What about you, Ashlyn? For me, Star Trek really represents the little guy getting to say their piece because so much of Star Trek is about these people versus these people and there's so many very heavy-handed metaphors, especially Mm. in the original series. Um, I'm thinking specifically about the episode where the people are literally painted half black, half white. Let this be your last battlefield. Oh, yeah. Is that oh, it? Jesus. Yes. Yeah, I think Thank so. You, Rihanna. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This this is what happens all the time <laughs> is I don't know anything and Rihanna uh, pulls it from her dictionary. Um, but yes, no. That, and that's an extremely heavy handed episode where it's like, okay, yeah. we get it. Like, black and let's white. treat everybody yeah. equally. And which is, which is great. Cause again, I mean, this is like, this is 69, mm-hmm. you know, this is, I mean, this is amazing. This is like the height of the civil rights movement. But what I love, and especially as we get like later into the series is there are really, there are so many political issues mm-hmm. and interpersonal issues that everyone can relate with. Um, and identify with and you really feel like you are being heard because these characters are going through exactly what you're going through and so that's what I love about Star Trek. So today is August 19th 2020 God help us all. Um, It is also Gene Roddenberry's birthday as well as Jonathan Frakes's birthday Um, and so I have two quotes from these wonderful men uh, I think it's especially exciting that we're recording it on Gene Roddenberry's birthday because we didn't mean to at all. And we have a theme today that is all around the original series. Um, and so I think especially to to record this on Gene Roddenberry's birthday is, is very fitting. It's um, an ode yeah. to our Gene. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Gene Roddenberry says, It is the struggle itself that is most important. We must strive to be more than we are. It does not matter that we will not reach our ultimate goal. The effort itself yields its own reward. AKA, please go vote. The effort itself. And wear a mask. 
another quote from our uh, beloved Jonathan Frakes. Fate protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. Great choice. Oh. Okay, I did not know she was going to choose that one. Oh, yeah. And I'm quaking in my boots. I that know. was great. As we talk about little ships named Enterprise... I also want to talk about this podcast and what to sort of expect from it. I think you could get benefit of it because we'll be doing things like sexism, Mm -hmm. racism, and, you know, maybe not so divisive things like Wesley Crusher. (laughs) Um, Well, depends on who you ask. (laughs) Yeah, that 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 might get feisty. But I think if you care about these issues, you will be able to listen to the podcast and, mm-hmm. well, y- if you have no idea what Star Trek is, you Maybe probably don't. shouldn't Maybe just listen. turn back now. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> um, I think there's something for everyone from a casual fan to an extreme fan in this. And, and you know, if we're, if we're wrong, please leave a comment. We are also open to suggestions for series themes mm-hmm. and we would love to hear from our one follower our father um (laughs) for serious themes but we have a lot of ideas and we're very excited this has been a highlight of kind of our life in in the pandemic and coronavirus it's hard to focus on things uh that get us through and this Mm -hmm. just planning this podcast has been that got me through for for us so totally um we are super excited to be sharing this with you and we're here for you and we're here for each other and we're here for star trek so Let's get into it. it. Yes. So first of all, this series that we are starting now is called our pilot series, where we cover the pilots of every single Star Trek series known to man. The pilots are these beginnings. They're so important to the shows. They give us this like little taste of what we're about to watch. And tonight we're going to be talking mostly about the two pilots of the original series. We'll get into that in a minute. You have to also consider what the pilot is being made for, and that very much depends on the year that it was made. So pilots today, I think, are looking for something that's maybe flashy or something that's going to like generate a lot of media. Um, <laughs> but and so you think about the '60s, like the the '60s. This is like '68, '69. Roddenberry, he's pitching to these executives a western in space and and there's are they supposed to say yes to that right seriously but yeah so when you so when you think about like what star trek was up against to Mm -hmm. try and get through these old white men lol uh, (laughs) to get on the air and gene roddenberry as most people know very progressive guy i mean for a white dude in the first interracial kiss on television in star trek um he want he was pushing for people of color to Mm -hmm. be on the show he was pushing for aliens to be on the show like he, he he's pushing for women to yeah. be on tv and, and yeah and he's trying to like create russian characters to try to like oh symbolize God. peace in the future with yes. russia like there's yes. and even an asian american sulu yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so great legend <laughs> legend <laughs> but but and this is also at a time when there's only three television shows on tv because oh back God. then you turn on your tv you're getting i love lucy you're getting star trek and you're getting love boat so so this is crazy progressive and nobody was ready for this but gene ronderberry knew mm-hmm. that you have to be a good person and put representation yep. on tv and guess what i'm yeah. gonna make a sci-fi show that is not a doomsday about aliens oh, coming Jesus. over taking over the 
earth yeah okay this is also something so important and something that i forgot to mention but it is like ingrained in me that i love about star trek Mm -hmm. is that it's a positive view of the future yeah i think that star trek sort of instills values like that into so many other shows we see especially science fiction like it changed the way we watch and think about science fiction when we see a good pilot what first comes to my mind is something like the x-files you have right away these established 90s shoulder pads and these characters that Mm -hmm. go along with those fantastic shoulder pads um that are so well developed and as a writer myself i know that like developing characters you have to be able to quickly establish these sort of baseline ideas of characters but also be able to know that like these characters can grow and change and all of that and i think that the dynamic they had with Mulder and scully Mm -hmm. was so enigmatic and i see that so much in the kirk and spock dynamic you don't see in a lot of duos right away i mean i think that pilots establish certain relationships but they don't often go that far and i think that that's where the x-files succeeds so well is it right away establishes the overarching plot that we will be wondering about for like seven seasons of a show like in the first minute of the show and so that's what i think of when i think of pilots that really succeeded so to kick off our pilot series we will be reviewing the episode The Cage, which was the first pilot created by Gene Roddenberry for the CBS executives. This was the one that was written to sell them on Star Trek. And we're going to be talking about the second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which introduced the new cast, minus McCoy, um, and introduced... And Ahura. And Ahura. God, she's not in that one either. Yep. But so it introduces the cast that we get used to, and... We thought it was important to talk about both because the pilot, originally the cage, was not aired even for the viewers to see. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't even um, published, to my knowledge, until like 83 or something. We thought these two pilots would be important to contrast and discuss together um, because they're both sort of within the same intentionality. And we wanted to showcase both Pike and Kirk because they're both such important figures in Star Trek. Okay, for this next segment, we are going to start discussing our pilots. But first, I want you to summarize the cage in the worst way you can. Okay. Pike falls for an ugly lady and then leaves her behind. Ooh. Cuts both. (laughs) Okay, Ashlyn is unrelenting out of the gate wow now you know what the episode's about right like yeah. we explained it really well yeah we, i think we we really covered it yeah essentially oh man okay so here we go finally the freaking cage so i already talked about kind of the history the pilot of the cage was written by gene ronberry and he was really hoping to have a tv show that represented the best of humans and he really thought that putting it into a, f- a future initially he was actually thinking 1995 was really? where he wanted to set star trek what? yeah I oh actually, can you imagine no i just learned about that like a week ago oh my um, god which i've i yeah i didn't know before it's crazy so this <laughs> enterprise yeah well <laughs> but well, i guess it wasn't in, no it actually set in no, the 90s no and what's what's hilarious Not made in the 90s about like the it. current star trek t- timeline is that the well and maybe it's retconned i don't even know if it's still technically like in canon anymore but the the, world war three happened in the 90s 
the eugenics wars. Oh, right. Yeah, happened in How the 90s. How could I have forgotten? And, but in, like, Discovery, they have not talked about oh. yet, like, a, yep, any of very that. I, true. I haven't heard about um, about that particular conflict since... Since Deep Space Nine, when Bashir was a... Oh, geez. Yeah, well, yeah, because he yeah. was, yeah, because he's genetically And so they talk about yeah. the eugenics then, mm-hmm. but that's the last time we hear of it. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah. Well, and this this happens. The You get in a trap if you reference um, mm-hmm. things from Earth's recent past, yeah. because then, you know, suddenly it's the 90s, and, and you're still no making eugenics. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank God. <laughs> anyway how do, how do we get how, how do we, we get, get here, here? <laughs> oh you were talking about how gene ronberry originally wanted to set it in the 90s oh yeah 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 wow what a tangent so despite all of this so gene ronberry saying he wants you know um people of color and he wants everybody represented <laughs> what we see on this bridge is white men and and spock which you know technically is a vulcan white, white man, man. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it really it really looks like the senate you know mm-hmm. up there oh, it's, cra- it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> well you know and the other thing i noticed about that is that like okay there's one woman on the bridge and she's never named just just number just one number one like, is that supposed to be some sort of fun nickname? Is it supposed to be rank? It is interesting to me that number one is directly taken. Yeah. You know, Riker's number one right. is directly taken from whatever her name is, mm-hmm. you know? And she has a name on Discovery. But yeah, so I, I think it's really interesting because they're pulling directly from the root of Star Trek. Like, yeah. from like that's an early idea. That's really early. Totally. That script was probably written in, like, 67, you know? Like, that, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, probably 68. But yeah. Yeah, I, there's I, just no, no representation, just, really. And if there is, it's minimal at best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what was really shocking to me. And I think... Like, I'm so used to seeing Ohura and Sulu and, like, Scotty's still a white man, but he's Scottish, you know? Like, you have yeah. these, like, different representations of cultures. And here, it's interesting that the cage pilot was really unable to go as far as where no man has gone before. The more diverse option was the one that became what we know of the original yeah. series today. And, yeah. like, the sort of sausage fest of the cage. Yeah. You know, it was still very prevalent in Where No Man Has Gone Before, but, like, the ways that they strengthened as mm-hmm. it went on yeah. with diversity, even in, we'll talk about this, but even in Where No Man Has Gone Before, there's more diversity than oh. the cage. Oh, there's way more. Yeah. Just within the crew itself. I think even the only aliens we see, I mean, are the Telosians and yeah. Spock. Yeah. Usually there's, like, at least a couple of just aliens Randos. wandering around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something also to think about with pilots, as I'm sure for everyone who's seen The Office can agree with, you know, if you know The Office, you obviously watch past the pilot. And so <laughs> now if you go back as an avid Office fan, you know how cringy it is and how, yep. and how oh God, Michael's so cringy. But you love him. Like, mm-hmm. you have a deep love for him. And so totally. I was very aware on these watchings, trying to be careful of what did I pick up from my love of Star Trek that I'm watching it with these eyes versus like the first time I saw it. That is a really great point, Ashlyn. I think that it's hard for me to separate my love for Star Trek versus my maybe lack of some love for the pilots. 
my opinion is that it gets better from this pilot to the next yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but i also think that this was the image that gene ronberry wanted the executives to Mm. see he wanted them to see themselves on that on that ship you know that is so true and so i think he was advocating reason yeah he's smart he's mm -hmm. he's not a dumb guy there's a reason ahura wasn't even on until like she wasn't even part of the main cast even in the second pilot yeah yeah totally totally i'm waving my hands around because oof she's an outrage oh jesus come (laughs) on guys anyway they're doing their best and they're trying (laughs) yeah so can we talk about first how this pilot jumps right into the action yep from line one yes spock's first line ever he's just out of the gate like not only spock's first line ever spock speaks the first line in star trek which is beautiful it's like check the circuits or something yeah yeah. Which is so great. And I Love think that Spock. it really immerses you in the world right away. I also think that some of my favorite pilots have stories that just start right in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I hate to even to even think about this on a Star Trek podcast, but Star Wars does the exact same thing. Yeah. When we True. when we and of course, you know, guess what came after Star mm-hmm. Trek was Star hint, hint. Wars. So come on guys. <laughs> I don't believe in the in the versus fight. Yeah, but they're completely different. I you know some of some of the best stories start in the middle because it forces you to connect with someone. You're looking around for anyone to identify with, and who are you choosing? Who are you choosing, Rihanna? When you watch this, who is the character that you're really like focusing on and looking at in this pilot? So, the person in me who loves Spock more than, like, mm. any other character in all of Star Trek wants me to say Spock. Yeah. But, because we're not trying to go on bias of love of the whole show. Yeah. Probably Pike. I yep. think because he's the center. He is stoic and calm, and he is, like, everything this sort of, you know, whoever they're pitching it to want to see in a captain. They want to see this strong white man at the helm of this strong starship you know and i think that there's a lot of stoic strength that he sort of emanates right away mm-hmm. he's incredibly competent yeah he's uh <laughs> he's a law-abiding starfleet mm-hmm. officer he will never beam down to a planet on his own to fight <laughs> the main boss <laughs> no I, and I'll, I'll unheard of i'll say this later but i noticed in the episode when he was offered some ladies pike did not take it and mm-hmm. i can think of um you know, Captain Someone Kirk, else. who would have taken that threesome, <laughs> mm-hmm. but or and either any all the ladies. Yeah, and Pike is not that way. Pike is a respectable person. Mm-hmm. He, I, I can't. I agree. I, I definitely agree. I can't take my eyes off Pike. Also, yeah. because he's Jeffrey Hunter. What a guy! Despite his very sexist comments as mm-hmm. Pike, uh, towards. Uh, Yo- towards Yeoman. Yeoman. Yeah. yeah. Yeoman Smith. Um, I cannot take my eyes off Pike. And his whole speech when he's talking to the doctor about wanting to retire. How bold is it? I mean, and now, you know, I've seen Star Trek Beyond. So uh, hilariously, I'm thinking about Kirk. I'm thinking about Kirk in Beyond saying, I want to retire. Um, and so I'm seeing Pike in the very first episode of Star Trek saying, I've had enough. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm done as a captain to this doctor. Yeah. yeah. Ashlyn, this is crazy. <laughs> we talk about this a lot that we share one brain cell <laughs> and it just sort of passes between the two yeah. of us. And mm-hmm. so I wrote 
almost verbatim what she just said in my notes, and we have not compared notes this <laughs> carefully. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, what I was going to say in relation to that with Beyond, there's similar archetypes of the Kirk-McCoy dynamic as in the Pike and the Dr. Royce well okay and see this was something that Roddenberry was also like really interested in was I think he had a close relationship with his doctor and also your doctor came to your house and like and gave you a house call you know I think yeah exactly there was people making house calls like the doctor patient we we can't even imagine no and the relationship was seemed a lot like it seems like there's they're going for definitely that dynamic of like closeness and sort of and i love that they were drinking together yes exactly and like love i love it i love that and i think when he says the line sometimes a man tells his bartender things he never tells his doctor yeah you know and i think that's a perfect line to sort of capture that dynamic that you have going into depth right away like you said i mean we see pike we see the inner turmoil in Pike almost right away. And, I mean, we see this being played out throughout the episode where he's sort of given this choice of do I remain in this fake dream world at my home Mm -hmm. with these beautiful horses, a beautiful woman, you know, like Mm -hmm. these options that to most men would seem, boom, I'd take it. You know, like a lot of men would, or people, Mm -hmm. a lot of people would just sort of cave and be like sure this is this life is fine but i think pike is torn between his life at home and his life in the stars and they tempt him with that that life these telosians they tempt him with this and he's got his foot in each world and i think that having this dynamic in a captain is so interesting to me yes absolutely I love everything you just said. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a little biased because I'm coming from knowing Pike from Discovery, Mm -hmm. but they did such an amazing job with Discovery. I feel like it's not totally wrong of me to kind Mm -hmm. of to kind of think about them as the same character. Um, But again, I'm trying to separate it. I'm trying to just watch the pilot as the pilot and not have this baggage (laughs) of the amazing job that they do as the writers do with Discovery. But the sense I get is that. They're trying to show that Pike's duty to Starfleet and therefore his duty to the universe, because humans take themselves so seriously, and especially Starfleet. And I think that, you know, Gene's trying to push this really amazing vision of the future. And so he's not even tempted because he's so, his, his sense of duty is so strong. And you see this, this is why we all love Picard. Like, you know, like there are so many characters that come from the the first duty yes Um, and pike is really emboldening it and pike is giving us a great example of a captain who is passionate about his job even though it's like the early phases of starfleet Mm -hmm. and we see another series like an enterprise when the seeds of the Mm -hmm. federation are growing but comparatively this is still early trek compared to the rest of how much further it goes um and so i think right away you're getting a sense of this is just pure like science nerds out in space love and life committed to this humanitarian mission they have exactly. and i love 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 that that is kind of the heart of star trek too and i feel like pike is just it man pike is awesome besides sexism <laughs> <laughs> and you know in the scheme of things he that's pretty great like he's mm-hmm. doing pretty well and mm-hmm. i think that to build on what you were talking about with pike's duty towards starfleet mm-hmm. Um, there's this quote that Vina says in the episode. She says, 
but they found it's a trap like a narcotic because when dreams become more important than reality, you give up travel, building, creating. And I just, I think that even though Pike is struggling with this decision of should I stay or should I go? Should I go back to my home, leave Starfleet? Should I lift these burdens off my shoulders? his dreams were always sort of rooted in the stars and so like when Vina is talking about when the dreams become more important than reality you give up this travel and these buildings and creating everything you do Mm -hmm. I don't think Pike could ever give that up you know and like we see sadly later on of course like he's sort of forced to give it up but I think that that sense of duty and I don't even know if it's really out of love for Starfleet anymore or out of duty. I mean, I think that it more stems from just his desire to stay true to his values, his morals, to Starfleet, to what he believes in, but I don't know if it... I mean, he seems so weary in this episode, even, and it's the first one, you know, and it's our... It's this introduction to this man who seems to be almost out the door in a way it's it's such an interesting dynamic yes absolutely and i think this is a perfect transition to talk about of course pike's fate which is Mm -hmm. not in this pilot but should absolutely be mentioned is the menagerie part one and two first ever uh (laughs) (laughs) two-parter yeah maybe in history i don't even know right uh but at least on star trek but one quote that really stuck out to me because of course we all you know if you've seen first couple episodes of the original series, you know that Pike is later injured and fully paralyzed mm-hmm. and can't move and ends up joining the Telosians right. forever with Vina. Yeah. And he lives in this cage that he fought so hard to escape from. So um, true. And Oof. the quote that really got to me while watching this episode was Pike says to the Telosians, there's a way out of any cage and I'll find it. Um, and I think I think it's kind of talking about like youth, which also I want to touch upon with Spock mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but you know, it's it's this idea of humans hate being trapped, and especially Pike, especially when faced with like an unknown thing that traps them, because we're very afraid. We're a species that's afraid, but we fight through it. Um, it is just it's crazy to me that pike just goes right back after his injury he because he was tempted in this episode he was tempted by vena and i think he truly felt that spark and we know he's not like a lover boy no like he's Kirk. not yeah i don't think this kind of thing has ever happened to him i don't think he loves before. easily no i don't think he can i think that a lot Cause of because about the duty you yes. know and he's like committed to starfleet well, or or not but he's committed to the mission yes yeah. and i think that what i see in pike in this episode is a little bit concerning like in a way i was sort of like worried for him because there's this deep anger that sort of manifests itself but the way to sort of block the telogians oh yeah mind control anger was through these visceral yeah. human like animal instinct of anger and i think that like even Vina herself mm. said you cannot maintain that for that long she's like I've tried and it's only lasted for was like 10 minutes or was it any emotion I just I, I think I think it was just like because it's an animal instinct it so it was anger. like the survival yeah. I was just checking. Yeah, yeah guttural mm-hmm. instinct and so I think that the reason why Pike is so built on these foundations of duty and relies on Starfleet yeah, so much of that some anger. is because he builds a wall 
around himself with his duty and it sort of masks that anger and whatever sort of insecurities come from that anger you know and I, because we don't know a ton about or anything really about pike's past um and we don't ever we know nothing and yeah. we will never know we don't anything get ev- ever yeah even with discovery yeah they don't give we us don't anything know anything and so we just see these glimpses we know more about gary mitchell than yeah. we know about pike this iconic exactly figure. anyway exactly ahead. and yeah. so i think that that is really telling to me why he was so eager to get out of the cage and that is an anger that is deep-seated in a lot of us i mean in the episode the keeper the guy one of the buttheads one of the delosians says to him the customs and history of your race show a unique hatred of captivity even when it's pleasant and benevolent you prefer death this makes you too violent and dangerous a species for our needs mm-hmm. That is a fascinating commentary on slavery in the 60s, you know, and I think that it was it's a very important commentary under the guise of sort of using sci-fi as sort of a platform to like talk about race and talk about humans who are put into captivity. And Mm -hmm. of course, we're going to react if that happens. So you're thinking about these humans that are 200 years older than you and and pike is reacting with the same amount of fear and i'm gonna get out of this cage as as we would today and this is 200 years removed and you know apparently with star trek like we haven't had slaves you know but of course like the the universe is corrupt. I'm sure they had some like alien also, slaves somewhere. Can, um, literally, the Orion slave girls is a staple okay. of Star Trek That's from this episode. In this episode, it's literally in this episode. It's already entrenched in a society that Gene Roddenberry first... just created. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that <laughs> that really took off. I mean that's you know that's like the joke is there's so many jokes about Star Trek. Just general ones mm-hmm. is like oh you know you, who's the red shirt who's going to totally. go down and die right away. Mm-hmm. That's a, a classic. And then also. Uh, which green chick is Kirk doing tonight this week? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, but you know, he doesn't actually bang any slave girls. No. Orions. He bangs no Orions until the Star Trek 2009 one that we see, but Mm -hmm. it's Pike and he doesn't even bang her. She just dances. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about that scene with Mm -hmm. the Orion slave girl is that it's Vina in this form. And so, like, it yep. always centers around Vina because, of course, yep. they're trying to, like, sort of find her a companion in her life of imprisonment in this cage. Mm-hmm. Um, self-imposed, I guess. She, anyway, well, we'll get to that. She did yeah, choose it. exactly. Yeah. So, in that scene, um, I think it's whoever the main guy is, the keeper, I think they call him, is this, this Telogian is talking to Pike saying, I can give you your darkest fantasies. I can give you the most depraved ideas you've ever had. And they show her as a slave girl. And I think mm-hmm. that that's very significant. And I think it's really interesting to see that's what Pike's depraved fantasy would be mm-hmm. is to get on with a slave girl or whatever and i think yeah. that immediately it's definitely a commentary on like women's bodies becoming objects for men as well as this overarching theme of the episode of um imprisonment and captivity and the not so heavy symbolism you know sometimes star trek really leans heavily on symbolism but mm-hmm. i think that they did a great job in this episode of showing imprisonment and captivity as a look into humanity and of the predictability of the reactions and the sort of unpredictability of pike's reaction versus 
Vina's reaction. The more we learn about Vina, the more compassion we have for her. But in the beginning, I'm like, first of all, she might not be real. She might be in a figment created to make Pike stay. Mm-hmm. But like, it, she does seem real and she gets tortured and stuff if she's not able to get Pike to stay. And it's really interesting to see her grow as a character too within the episode as we learn more about her we learn more about how because of her like disfigurement and she was put back together like a robot robot yeah Yeah, like they didn't know how humans were built and so she is this broken desperate person for lonely yeah so lonely like i can't imagine and so she's a normal like human woman yeah you know? like of course she's lonely and yeah. these only these aliens were the only people yeah. who saved her and so she's sort of in her own self-imposed imprisonment she first is in this prison of beauty and i think that was a really interesting point is when the Telosians make her f- look beautiful mm-hmm. on the outside and how that's so important to her. And I think that that is kind of troubling as far as Star Trek themes go. So I have been thinking about this. My reaction to it is that it's just 60s. It's like an anime, but there's always... Um, fan like, service. Yeah, fan yeah. service. There's always fan service. And I think this is like 60s Trek fan service. <laughs> it's like, well, the woman has to be in her stereotype mm-hmm. of, of like vain and like obsessed with her appearance. Naive. Yeah. And, and yep. so I just chopped it up to, I didn't even look any deeper because I was like, well, what were women allowed to feel except number one on the bridge who doesn't have a name? Yeah. Know? exactly i love looking at her Um, in this in this beautiful beautiful way though yeah yeah i mean what a horrible life she's had also i just want to say that i was pissed off because i was looking at the cast list because we were trying to make sure we knew (laughs) you know how to pronounce everybody's names and what the doctor's name was we can never remember but (laughs) um she is like sixth build in this show and even though she's probably has more screen time than yeah. everyone except Pike. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the cage, <laughs> I think about the t- I think about the buttheads, the Delosians, mm-hmm. and Pike and Vina. Yeah. And and Spock is like really happy, which I also, you know, we haven't talked about Spock yet. Oh my god, um, I can't wait to talk about I, Spock. <laughs> I also just before we finish the Pike and Vina segment, mm-hmm. I also want to say another quote that I thought was really interesting was from Pike. Uh and this was, I believe, towards the, like, end-ish. It was, like, kind of the middle of the episode. Um, he says, you either live life, bruise knees and all, or you turn your back on it and start dying. Mm. Love and that quote. I think, I mean, that's also referencing that the cage that he's in. Um, but I resonated with it because of, you know, kind of the life that we're in right now is... Uh, you know, there's a pandemic, and that's all. I think <laughs> let's leave it at that. Uh, and so I can really identify with Pike. And I have a question about that quote. Yeah. Do you think that Pike thought of himself later when he goes back to Vina after his accident? Do you think that he still thinks he's turning his back on life, or do you think he's giving himself a new chance at life? I, I know we're not talking about the pilot. No, but. no, no, no. I think that's a wonderful question. Um, Listeners, if you want to answer it, please do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, have an no, answer to it. Because aren't you immortal? Don't they make you, like, live a longer life than normal? 
I don't think so. I think you just live out your days. You just live out the normal days. It's okay. just like a human zoo so, or zoo for creatures. <laughs> oh, that quote haunts me a little more thinking about this because I'll read it again. You either live life, bruise knees and all, or you turn your back on it and start dying. And that's that's really hard to think about because Pike, I mean, when he's paralyzed and can't move, even his head, mm-hmm. I mean, he's completely paralyzed. I think he took what anyone would do. Yeah. I think it's completely reasonable. I would do it, too. And this is, again, this is why I love Star Trek. Like, yeah, sure, there's like a 22nd century solution to everything, but... Some things you can't avoid and escape. Maybe this kind of injury, you know, like, can really speak to some people. And, I I mean, it's unbelievable to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, oh, geez, yeah. Yeah. I have all my notes are like, Pike is so smart and so (laughs) brave. And also, while we're on Vina, I thought the actress was like really incredible um really really incredible actress because initially in the episode she's thrown into all these different roles of pike's imagination and she does great i mean as the slave girl like she you know obviously she becomes the icon as we talked about um totally she's in all these different positions and roles and like you said we don't know if she's a figment or if she's real or what's going on but in every one she's very charming and very likable and you start feeling for her even before you know what's happened to her, I really connected with her, and I thought her and Pike had really good chemistry. Absolutely. Um, and just just excellent. I love her. Yeah, and in that same vein, I think that she did so well of writing that line between this sort of delicate, naive woman mm-hmm. and this strong woman who had made a decision in her life and was very sure about it and very confident and i think that it's so sad that really the telosians are using her as a tool for their experiment they're having her play the damsel when he fights that random flashback creature that he wanted you know he had to go fight Mm. i think that when the telosians have her playing this damsel she says to pike because that's how you imagined me and to be frightened, you know, and yep. men expect women to be frightened and God. to be damsels. Yeah. And I think that they talked about that in this episode is really cool. It deserves some space in this podcast because, like, it, it's so important to think about, like, the role of the damsel versus the reality, you know? Like, she was just playing a part. She wasn't really helpless. She, I don't think she's ever been helpless in her life. Like, I think the role until she got just <laughs> horribly her. disfigured. Horribly. Oh, God. <laughs> Where she lost all of her friends and Jesus. ability okay. to go well, home. Yeah, she totally got helpless <laughs> there. But I think before then, I mean, she still made her decisions, and yeah. I really well, respect that, I you also, know? I also really get the sense though it's interesting you say that because i kind of disagree i read it differently i read Mm. it that she was a changed woman because Mm. of her because she's very vain i mean the fact i mean i think about it i mean okay yeah sure if her arms are like on upside down like yeah Yeah, i would want that fixed and of course we all want our beauty we all want to look good like Mm -hmm. that's a that's something in our consciousness we cannot get rid of we all want to look good because we care so much about opinions i I just think that she has gone through a lot and so i think of i i kind of imagine that she might have been a very shallow person um and i i off the top of my head i honestly don't know because she was there like as a colony right Mm -hmm. and everyone died uh, on the shuttle um but was she a scientist or was she a family member do we even no know idea we don't, we don't get even it know that. okay yeah. so see again um it's true come on guys literally yeah. come on writer guys 
let's give her let's any give kind her of backstory. a flushed out backstory please but, I, but pike didn't get one either so i'm kind of imagining her as the 60s might where she's just like a wife of a scientist you know mm. but hopefully she's a scientist yeah i don't know i just i imagine her as a shallow person who's been through a lot Oh, hell of a lot. Yeah. Had a horrible life. Has no one around who really cares about her except these, like, butthead guys. Totally. <laughs> you know, and that's a really good read. I really like that because it shows her transformation in yeah. a way that I think like it would we transform. Get with Pike. Yes. Like what we've been seeing the whole time. Yes. Like with Pike's arc. Yeah. This and becomes. We get Venus too. Exactly. This becomes its own. Like, these. The Cage and the Menagerie Part 1 and 2 become its own these own mini arcs for these characters that are given not much screen time but allowed so much growth Mm -hmm. in these two episodes so i think that's really interesting to point out for sure yeah now because we're so serious i want to talk about spock oh love to i would i always want to talk about spock so rihanna talk about spock oh my god where to begin i mean (laughs) when discovery came out and they did the whole previously on Star Trek and had the flashback to this episode of The Cage. Um, I went back and watched it because I was like, oh my god, it's been a million years since I've seen this. I need to remember anything about this episode. I went back and my first reaction really was, oh my god, like Spock is just thriving. Like he seems like he is having the time of his life, first of all, which I love that for him. I think that he deserves all the happiness in the world. And I think that it's really interesting because there didn't seem to be a lot of direction for Spock's character yet. I think that Nimoy had to do a lot of shifting as we begin to see in Where No Man Has Gone Before, but I think that this episode, of course, it doesn't accurately portray spock because they don't know who he is yet and how could they you know how could they even have an idea of who spock's character is going to be i don't think that even he was written as half human in the cage like no but he's smiling like crazy (laughs) i mean he's looking at these plants that hum and are beautiful and he has this beautiful smile on his face he's just the cutest little thing and I think it's lovely. I think that it's a really lovely moment, even though it doesn't make any logical sense or any, you know, Vulcan sense. And I know that it doesn't adhere to his character, but I really think that it's it's such an innocent moment, and I really love that. Yeah. I love Spock in this. I love Leonard mm-hmm. Nimoy. Um, one thing I did think about during this episode was that Nimoy has not quite fleshed out who this guy is. And I I don't really blame Nimoy for it. I Mm -mm. blame the writers. But I also think that, again, you think about what they're making this pilot for. It's for these executives. Yeah. And so all you care about is that you have some alien. I don't think, like, I think it was cool that he was a science officer. And I think it was awesome that he was kind of the, like, Scotty character. Mm. Not, Not in the sense of an engineer, but, like, as in, like, a third important person like pike is number one <laughs> well <laughs> technically not pike is number zero pike is the captain then you then you have number one then you have spock yeah and i think that they could get away with having just a bland here's some lines we're not writing anything special for you i was also doing a lot of research for this episode and a lot of opinions is that it's young like he's portraying a young spock there are so many ways that you can look at this because I I kind of love reading it from a 
kind of character perspective where you just forget that there are <laughs> writers and that it's a show and that you think about the overall arc of Spock from this first episode all the way to when so sad he passes away and beyond Mm. you know coming back through time i mean what a wow what a journey admiral spock Mm. i salute you so i love looking at it at it in this pure way and i love him in this uh i also think that when him or number one or pike is on the screen it's a boring episode and that's when i'm checking my phone is this Mm. later half of the episode towards Mm -hmm. the end when Pike is trapped, yeah. <laughs> um, number one is down on the planet, and Spock is like running it, running the whole show. Mm-hmm. I don't care about anyone else. I don't know anyone else's names. I look them up, and I I I'm still to don't find remember them. them. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can see why they needed to change this because this was not going to work. No. <laughs> if there's so often in star trek plots that characters are pulled apart and it cannot run off of three characters no it can't star trek show that thrives off of three characters no you need the crew that's what's so important it's about the crew it's about working always been about the crew humanity yeah or Um, not yeah aliens or not i've been talking a lot but i just want to also i i kind of want to talk about the fun things i thought about this episode yes because we've kind of been in the heavy heavy (laughs) the trenches yeah we've truly been in the trenches um some things I th- I thought were just so interesting was the paper, the use of paper. <laughs> paper. Okay, they sent a fax. They faxed. They literally faxed. It was beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen real paper on Star Trek no, unless I've it's like a book a that McCoy paper. gives. Kirk oh yeah, for or his something. birthday yeah. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, look what I have from the Smithsonian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love seeing the paper and the tapes. And I think we're yep. going to see some more tapes in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I got big Janeway vibes from number one. Okay, when, yes. Especially there was a scene where it was just her on the bridge. Pike is like down there. And she is just like delegating jobs yes. and jobs. And she's so powerful. And I'm just, I mean, I can't believe this is 1968. It's incredible. I cannot believe it. She's amazing. And I wish I knew her name. Yeah. Ugh, I'm, I'm hitting my little desk because I'm so <laughs> mad. I'm sure there's like a, a Star Trek memory alpha that I haven't seen that has her name. But sure. I, number one, amazing. Big Janeway vibes. Big future captain vibes. Yes. Where is number one spinoff? For real. Okay, anyway. For real. Preach it. I totally agree. She is enigmatic in this episode. And I just wish that my younger self who was not out of the closet yet could have just sawn into my future and been like yes she is so hot she's so talented like i think that she is power like i really she just radiates this power and this energy and this relentlessness you know and she's completely the opposite of vena completely like i think that they are really antithesis of each other i'm in a warm shell of happiness listening to Vienna <laughs> right now. that's how i feel i feel absolutely agree yeah and then the next moment she is being beamed down with a yeoman to be sort of auctioned off for the telosians women in this episode are supposed to be sort of tantalizing in a way and i think that number one doesn't allow for that even when she's captured in the cage with pike and the telosians are telling him like oh then choose another if you don't like this specimen this is where i said that kirk would have taken the threesome exactly (laughs) kirk would have just been like 
can I have all of them? Yeah, you know, it would have been a foursome. <laughs> Nina, he would have been like, "Come on, Delosian." Yeah, you know he's paying. Join in. Kirk will Kirk have will anyone have who's willing. Yeah, yeah, literally anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's very open. Gender, yeah. race, species. Totally, totally. Whatever. He's yeah. ready for you. Because the way that Pike and number one react with each other in that scene is so cool because it feels like they're on even ground. Like Pike is working hard to hate, hate, hate with this animalistic anger so that the Telosians can't sense him. And number one is just like going with it. She's just like another day in the fleet. Another dollar. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I also just want to take this moment to shout out Major Barrett incredible woman she's everything to me although she's also known as major roddenberry yeah mm-hmm, <laughs> um mm-hmm. but she's our no beloved wonder. nurse chapel yeah she's, she's our a computer beloved voice. voice yeah of the computer and our uh somewhat beloved lawaxana troy <laughs> troy's and, mom <laughs> oh my god and our questionably beloved voice of the strange cat-like character on the animated series she really has range though and that's what really impresses me that's the one that gives me nightmares though yeah mm. she does a little but so you take this crazy pilot this is a crazy (laughs) pilot and they spent a lot of money on this i think i read it was like like half a million dollars oh my god and so they show it to these executives and the things they don't like are number one they don't like having a female who was so high ranking that's terrible Um, and they did not like spock they said we don't want to showcase like an alien on the show they thought he looked demonic because of his pointed ears ronberry was furious Mm -hmm. and kept spock obviously (laughs) but at a high price he had to get rid of any high-ranking females he was actually in the works with Nichelle Nichols trying to get her on the show, but mm. they didn't want any black women on the show, um, which Typical. is why we're about to talk about where no man has gone before. Ahura, you'll notice, is not present. So they they had to make several compromises. They didn't want an alien, but they, they were able to keep Spock. And I think that the show really suffers from just seeing this slight glimpse of this powerful female who was in charge of other people mm-hmm. was was amazing i was i was yes. inspired and it's 2020 yes. you know like this is this is so long ago True. we don't even get that in next generation d space nine I, finally kira as first officer we see again yeah, but i think it, it took so long for for trek to get there and i'm not blaming them i, I tr- this is why i like trek because they're because they're doing more than everybody else is and we can always say yeah. that we want them to do more and yeah. we want them to be oh, better yeah yeah we can i say that with any i'm show. not i'm not complaining i just have to recognize it and this goes back to what we've kind of been referencing the whole time is <laughs> so much of star trek culture is based off of this episode and it's yeah. crazy. Like, not only do different series pull from this, mm-hmm. and especially the reboots. The reboots are taking, they're pulling from this 50-minute episode mm-hmm. that that is never really referenced again ever except in the Menagerie, and then it's totally dismissed until Discovery. And now we are going to start the second episode of this podcast, Where No Man Has Gone Before. And Rihanna, I want you to explain this episode really badly kirk's old school friend gets new contact lenses oh (laughs) (laughs) 
the con the the contact lenses are awful. They're really bad. They're really bad. They're so bad. Do you think they actually put something on his eyes? Yeah, I feel like it's like glitter. Or do you think it I was? F- I feel like it's like a glitter contact. Editing. I feel like it's something. No, I, I don't think they could edit. Oh yeah, there was nothing to edit back then. <laughs> So here's pilot number two, where no man has gone before. Gene Ronberry has uh, spiced up some things. Uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk about race yeah. and gender again right away. Um, there are so many people of color, is what I noticed. I said earlier the first thing I noticed, and you can tell what I'm watching for now, <laughs> like woke trek, it, how many uh, people of color are there? But there's two black men on the bridge. Yeah, which is great. I don't it's even great. think I see black men. In Star Trek, like more than two in original series. Yeah, for quite I don't a know, long but time. in the, in this pilot, it's it's amazing. There's so much representation. It is so exciting to see. Um, Agreed. Completely. And I also I have to also acknowledge because we're talking about race mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Spock says one of his ancestors was human. Oh my. God. Oh Jesus! So, oh Jesus, Lord! Amanda Grayson is rolling in her your, grave. Your goddamn mother. Have some respect, Spock. Spock. That's all I'm gonna say. No, I literally, <laughs> literally, Ashlyn and I looked at each other when like, when he hell? said that line and what? just went, "What?" I mean, Why? this is again. This is when you have to know, like this. This stuff, Gene Roddenberry did not know that this no. series was going to last this long. He didn't know that there would be He was just multiple, trying to find a paycheck. Yeah, he didn't know yeah. that there would be multiple iterations of Spock. He didn't know that no. his background would be so, so cares? entrenched. But us nerds, we care. We care. We deeply. care. We care. Spock says one of his ancestors was human. No. Yeah. His mother was human. Spock is half human. Yeah. This is important for the character of so Spock. This is important. It is what his defining feature what he stacks himself on is the fact that he's half human and what he's always trying to resist is his humanity it's the focal point of his conflict and oh it's, my it, god that's his whole character yeah yeah like and so how- it's crazy to me that it's just a passing reference he's like and there and also gotta also say yeah okay william shatner Leonard nimoy in this episode this pilot right away I felt a chemistry between them that I did not feel really at all in the cage. There was Correct. N- there weren't any characters that I felt were connected. Right away, you see these two men playing chess, 3D chess, iconic, iconic, so iconic. in these crazy, horrible yellow <laughs> outfits that are like jammies. Y- yeah, they're yeah. like reference. They're kind of motion picture esque. Oh God, well, maybe not it's as foreshadowing. Bad. <laughs> it, they Nothing's had a, as bad they had as a, that. Maybe they had a bad day. All their laundry was. Uh, transported Maybe off the ship or something. Maybe they just accidentally dyed their collars like the wrong color. Oh, it's awful. It's god awful. <laughs> Everyone's in yellow. Right away, you know that these are two characters who have worked together for a long time. They know each other so well. They are charismatic. They are charming. And you're rooting for them. Yeah. And you get that in two minutes? Two minutes, maybe less. Yeah. I mean, from the first couple lines, I think you get this taste of this epic friendship that's going to span over mm. years and years. And I mean, I gotta say it, but the gay vibes. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just because I'm raging lesbian, but I think that <laughs> these men show so much love for each other and so much Mm. respect and devotion and we see this throughout the episode we see moments in which kirk just wants to leave spock behind because you know spock will follow him into danger he'll follow him into fire that's a really important part yeah we see like kirk literally tells this doctor he goes 
don't revive Spock until after I leave. And I don't think it's out of a place of mistrust or a place of, you know, worry even for himself. He's worried for Spock. He's worried for Spock's reaction. He knows that he's just going to go after him blindly because that is the That's that's Spock's duty. But I think it's an important opportunity to talk about the duty of the first officer Mm -hmm. and the captain. Yes. Because, I mean, this is a point of debate amongst every series. Yeah. Uh, because the role of the captain is very important and it does change. And again, if we're looking at this like very beautiful view of every character has its arc throughout the series and we're not thinking about writing, we're mm-hmm. just thinking about who the characters are. I have to believe that early Starfleet was, was towards the like kind of war. Mm. Um, they had just been fighting the Zindi, Zindi yeah. and, uh, you know, early Klingons mm-hmm. and Andorians. Mm-hmm. And it's very gung-ho captains. And we see this in Beyond, too. Even yep. though, like, it's an alternate universe Trek film, I think it's very loyal yeah. um, to its uh, its roots. Mm-hmm. And the Federation formed out of an incredibly violent war. As a result, Kirk is incredibly gung-ho. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, and this is this is a focus of the new films, and I, sure. and I really like how Kirk is portrayed in the new films as this, inc- like, he's so talented that he skips a year of school, and yeah. he's this prodigy who's just mm-hmm. flying through Starfleet. But I think that the Kirk that we get in this episode is different from the Kirk that we see in the rest of the original series. It is one of the reasons that this episode is rated so highly, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, because I think if you compare where no man has gone before to the whole rest of original series, what else do we know about Kirk that we don't get in this episode? One, he had a friend named Jim Bingo. (laughs) Hopi. Wait, what was his name? In, um... In is that like the cloud one? No, 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 no. It's it's the one. Uh, it's the shore leave one. And his oh, his friend God. from Starfleet. Yeah, he's like laughing, and he's awful, and he's like he's oh, so annoying. Well, that I can't guy. remember his. But that one shows also, what Kirk has. Ruth. <laughs> it shows that Kirk has banged many women. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. That's all we really get to see. We don't get to see any sort of Gary Mitchell esque figures in his past so we get to see more of kirk's past in the reboots than we ever get to see in the original series partially i think because shows like this were coming on weekly you can't really have very complex connected i mean no continuity no you can't even though they mentioned in where no man has gone before that gary mitchell steered kirk towards some blonde woman and tried to you know keep him from being the smartest in his class of course it never comes up again because he you weren't expecting to watch star trek the way we do now the way we watch discovery and picard even television has changed yes so so much much. and star trek had to change with it but i think that you know for this original series they had to give the characters enough depth for each episode that you still felt the reward. Like, we still feel the reward of episodes like Devil in the Dark or like City on the Edge of Forever. You feel the rewards of those episodes because you get these little depths of these characters. Yeah, Yeah, little vignettes. Exactly. Well put. It's a really complex way to write. And I'm I'm no, you know, screenwriter. I'm a poet. But still, I think that, like, in incorporating these... I'm a poet. Not not a screenwriter. screenwriter. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that's my new catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that you you have to be so intentional in the way that you structure your characters within each episode in order to make people care about them. And yep. I think that in this episode, I really, really cared about Kirk and Spock. Yeah. I think that, like, I really was worried about them when they were, you know, getting thrown around and, you know, they're trying to beat up these gods. It's tough. It's a tough life in Starfleet. No, so when I think about Kirk from the original series as a whole, and again, now I'm really thinking about this pilot from someone who really knows the series, like pretty intimately, like can name so many episodes. <laughs> so I'm trying to imagine like how I felt watching this, but I, I can imagine because I know myself and I know that I like interesting people Mm. and kirk is an interesting person when i hear gary mitchell his his good friend say that kirk was like a walking stack of books Mm -hmm. he says at one point after and also we we should talk about the plot but you know like Mm. that kirk's friend is like on the ship he gets struck by lightning uh so does this like great doctor psychologist, psychologist who's also on the ship as a guest and she gets struck and by some yeah. like knowledge that makes them like godlike here we go sci-fi things to help us understand our real lives yeah um, correct but when gary mitchell s- describes kirk that way walking books yeah I like th- what I, when i think of kirk I, I think of at least kirk roll kirk chop uh cheesy acting um gung-ho disregard for the rules grabbing the woman by the shoulder and pressing his mouth on her i didn't even think about (laughs) that part you know Mm -hmm. and it's hard to have a main character but but like but it's so crazy to me Mm -hmm. because we just had pike we just had this intellectual thoughtful why do you think that one i mean i think honestly they probably thought it was too boring like they needed someone more animatic and also i did also read the read they didn't like it because there was too much talking and not enough action oh my god and i i will say that this where no man has gone before has a lot of action isn't that what appeased the yeah that's People what more. that's what made them say that Star Trek was like that's what green lighted Star Trek was, was the fist fights was because of the the end battle <laughs> with Kirk versus uh Gary Mitchell. Can I just that's say, what they liked. That's a little ridiculous. Like I mean I get it to an extent that people like action and that I mean it's true though that a lot of sci-fi is oriented on these big fights. You the know? reason I hate the motion picture is because there's, like, nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> People are sitting and talking and standing and talking. And one person's standing and the other person is sitting and they're talking. And that's the motion picture. That's yeah. the motion picture directed by 100%. Robert Wise. The reason why it was created was because Gene Roddenberry wanted to create an anti-Star Wars film. And... And Star Trek has always struggled with this. Like, uh, this idea that J.J. Abrams, like, made Star Trek too, um, too modern or too, uh, too much lens flare and action. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's, uh, it's an age-old battle that Star Trek has always faced. Star Trek has never been confined into these boxes. And that's what makes it so amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that no one can really pack Star Trek away and say it's just this, it's just that. Because every series creates its own version of Star Trek. I also wanted to mention that we were talking about the uniforms earlier. Scotty looks incredibly washed out and awful. He looks like he just went on like a terrible 12-day bender. Like he, no, just... he looks horrible. James Doohan, of course, the genius behind Scotty, he just looks terrible and uh, like tan. tan. <laughs> 
as would I. <laughs> Don't choose that color. No wonder oh. they went to primary colors oh, after God, this. It's god awful. Uh, but a, a new character or a new actor to this to this series, um, along with uh, George Takai mm-hmm. as Sulu. Yeah. Uh, were the two new characters, along with Kirk and Spock, yeah. that they had. There was no Chapel, no Dr. McCoy. And I, I do briefly want to talk about, they they kept the same doctor from mm-hmm. uh, the cage to the, where no man has gone before. But when did they decide to switch to McCoy? They loved, and we briefly touched upon this earlier, uh, They Gene Roddenberry loved the relationship between a captain and his doctor. He was mm-hmm. obsessed with it. And... I I really thought the doctor didn't make much of an impact in Where No Man Has Gone Before because right. he has no chemistry with no. William Shatner. Absolutely He's very stiff. absolutely none. No, very stiff. They they cannot communicate and everything he says is is vaguely just weird. Bizarre. And, yeah. <laughs> so they after this episode aired, obviously the the last few characters to come were Doctor McCoy, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Uhura, and obviously Chekhov in season Later, two. Later, yeah. But um and there's and chapel, chapel. Mm-hmm. and chapel and yeoman rand yeah yeah so they had quite a few people we could technically be doing three pilots but i <laughs> uh, think you know say your little prayers we're not yeah, here for God. three more hours talking about <laughs> we um, would we would be you know, about uh, plum but <laughs> oh god <laughs> you think i like salt but uh anyway you got nothing on plum <laughs> can i uh, say too as an add-on watching the cage and then going to where no man has gone before and how the women in the cage got to wear like pants Mm -hmm. and then they changed that no pants they wanted to add like you said with anime they wanted this fan service they wanted to add this sex appeal with these very very short dresses basically just like servants of the captain yeah like they're just like maids like like secretaries secretaries i think was the sort of aesthetic they were going better but and they were men remember in the cage yeah Uh, it was like a man and then a woman got transferred as a yeoman he was like i can't stand a woman on the bridge not can't stand but like i just can't get used Used to to. the idea of a woman on the bridge yeah and then uh, anyway besides that turn around yeah. yeah she's like excuse me yeah there's still this like tie to the sex appeal with mm-hmm. even the women's uniforms and how it and how it changes. Oh, of course, they're even closer to TV now. <laughs> they yeah, ha- they ha- get- there's no pants allowed. I'm sure that was something <laughs> that they said. They're like, I yeah. don't like these women in pants. I want to kind of turn to and just briefly mention that the cinematography was done by someone cool, and it was he also did the cinematography for Gone with the Wind. And so there's a couple of shots I thought were really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one shot where you see the shadows of all the future main characters. It has uh, Scotty Scotty and Sulu and maybe a red shirt. Yeah, (laughs) some red shirt. But but it's a beautiful, and Spock is in that Mm -hmm. group as well. And it's really, it's really a beautiful shot. Um, There are several... Uh, shots like that that I thought were really beautiful and as problematic as Gone with the Wind is, mm-hmm. uh, you can really tell from the quality of this episode, they were reusing all the sets from the first episode, they were using very cheap effects and cheap props mm-hmm. because <laughs> they were like, this is our second round, we have to save money, we have to keep making the show. Right, exactly. Um, but I, re- I really think that they shelled out for the director and the cinematographer and the writers and I know that there were several writers who submitted different pilots. Um, Mud's Women was actually submitted for a pilot. 
Wow. As well as... Could you imagine? I cannot. <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine. I don't imagine. think it would have been picked up. Cannot imagine. <laughs> and also, Omega Glory was written as a pilot. And then also, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Those those three were the ones written by, <laughs> by different people. Hearing those, I am very glad they chose this one. Yeah, and... I, and this is another one that I have not seen since I first watched it. Mm-mm. I never, mostly because when I go on Netflix and I scroll and I see um, <laughs> Spock in the horrible yellow outfit, I can't watch it. Like, it hurts yeah, me. And exactly. it, it just makes me think, oh, that's old trick, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. a third, a th- one third of original series is horrible. Mm-hmm. It's god awful. Correct, yeah. I mean, I, I die for it, but it's awful. But it's awful. Yeah. It's, and, and, I, and I think I kind of roped where Nomad has gone before into that same category. Oh, I had too, because yeah. guess what? When we watched this the first time, all I remembered was the very last scene uh, where Gary Mitchell is just, his, his eyes are glowing, and yeah. he's just shooting this clearly fake lightning yeah. at this other woman, and she's shooting it back at him, and I'm like, is what in the world am I watching? Like, as a kid, I could barely understand their concepts on mm-hmm. God and religion and all these like things they packed into that episode yeah, they, because I'm a like crowded episode. It's so crowded. many things happen. Yeah. We won't even get to half of it. No, I don't think. Yeah, because there's like simply no time in the universe to talk about yeah. all of this. Absolutely. I also want to say uh, while we're on the topic of directors and cinematographers mm-hmm. that. I truly believe that they were definitely referencing a gay relationship or mm. implying of really close, close friendship between Kirk and Spock. I like I, it, some something that was really hard to ignore in this episode mm-hmm. was you see. So we're introduced to Gary Mitchell, and he's a, a pilot. I and I really got the kind of like flyboy attitude, you know, totally kind of like Tom Paris, honestly. Yes. Um, <laughs> definitely and that's a great comparison yeah, i really felt like these are kind of the hot shots like the han solo oh totally you know? yeah and gary mitchell is flirting with with the doctor with the yeah. psychologist who comes upon elizabeth uh, denner. Yeah, denner dr yeah. denner yeah who comes on board and and he's just being you know he he just wants to bang her yeah he um, at one point calls her a walking freezer unit because he, she was not openly flirtatious mm-hmm. and she sort of rejected his advances yeah well a little bit later the enterprise encounters some turbulence mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> and gary mitchell he reaches back and he grabs dr denner's arm during mm-hmm. the turbulence and pulls her forward in the helm yeah in the helm seat, in the helmsman yeah. chair and uh and, and and it was interesting because it that it's like a natural like he's reaching out to protect someone like who's in danger of falling and of course right. you know that's another uh, classic <laughs> Star Trek thing. I mean, it's just the shaky cam. No seatbelts, fall hazards yeah, everywhere. Oh, oh, it's it's a it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> Pirouetting <laughs> over poles, uh, over chairs. Oh, incredible! Unbelievable! Yeah, truly magnificent. The gymnastics involved oh, alone. Incredible. Um, but, Score uh, of ten. <laughs> easily and so so then so then what blows my mind mm-hmm. what blows, and and i don't i don't you can disagree i but what blew my mind and felt like proof to me was just like 10 minutes later we see kirk yes. they're in turbulence again kirk is rushing to the helm's chair he's rushing to it kirk has never never kirk never does this never ever ever, ever. 
and, and, and will he ever do it again? Like never, no. ever. No, he he literally will not. He rushes. He doesn't up take to the, the helm. helm, and he is like he's flying the damn ship. Like yeah. he has it on manual, and he's going for it. Mm-hmm. And then Spock, and and you know, and I my mind is blown oh. because Kirk is never the type of person to step up in a crisis like that. Because I no. never even thought he was a pilot. No, like I didn't. I mean, I didn't know he knew how to even run their weapons. Like obviously. Right. I should have thought about this. I'm the biggest nerd yeah. ever. We've thought about oh. possibly every Star Trek scenario, but, but I, I never, never thought, thought of Kirk that, as a pilot. No, or I never thought about Kirk as someone who would lower his ego enough to really like leap into the situation. But how yes. else did he become captain? Because he was probably a great first officer. Oh yeah. To Pike that I you know, <laughs> I don't really think about the reboots as no. him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Spock comes in pushes him out of the chair, takes the helm, and he's doing it. And then there's another big, like, ruckus on the Mm -hmm. ship of, like, everyone's shaking. And Spock reaches his hand back, and he grabs Kirk's hand in the exact same way. How can that not be intentional? How is that? Exact same way. And, like, I don't, I, I just, I can't ignore deliberate direction like that that is not Leonard Nimoy saying I want to see if Shatner's okay no No. that is like deliberate direction to directly imitate this hetero relationship of this guy like protecting this woman and Mm -hmm. she's reaching out for it too Mm -hmm. and even if you can't or don't want to look at it from like a, a gay perspective even just thinking about it that Kirk and Spock are so together and on the same page mm-hmm. that spock knows Entirely. even in not a romantic way but even in a best friend way either one it works because yeah. you care so much for someone that you know when they're afraid you reach out and grab them yes that's what you do exactly and, and so to me that was one. that was such a crazy crazy amazing thing i had never noticed before in watching this this scene is something so small and so subtle that it's very easy to miss and it's very easy to just sort of write off. I know that a lot of Spock's character had not been flushed out at this point and a lot of his, mm. the Vulcan sort of attitudes hadn't. It's fascinating because Vulcans are touch telepaths and so is Spock and he can glean surface emotions from touch. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that shows even more of this like vulnerability and this beauty in this very small moment. And I can't wait in different episodes to talk about the adding of McCoy to this mm. duo. This pilot is nuts because so many things don't even make it into the series. But, Seriously, yeah. Um, I, I love, I love it. And I, thinking back, I can see why I kept watching after watching, after seeing this episode. Absolutely. And I also just want to note, Where No Man Has Gone Before is technically the third episode of yeah. the original series. The Man Trap is yeah. the first episode. But what happened is... They filmed, of course, the second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, and they filmed a bunch of episodes afterward, and Mm. they decided to air what they thought would be a good introduction to throw people into, which is the man trap, which is the salt sucker McCoy alien. Yeah, Um, a rough one. To but put it lightly. I kind of like it, though. Yeah, well, it's... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then this this was the clear, different track from from the rest of the season. But it, it, it aired third, so, you know. Switching gears a bit. Yeah. Why in the hell is he James R. Kirk? Do you know any of this back... Ashlyn, quick note to our listeners. Ashlyn is our resident Star Trek historian, so... I'm doing, like, a hair flip. <laughs> yeah. Can't see. She's read all of these books on so. Star Trek... So James R. Kirk. They just did an R. They just decided... They just didn't think about it. Do they think that T was going to be more aesthetically 
pleasing to the well, ear. Well, they didn't think about tea until the show started. Mm. Tiberius was a a late addition to the character and i believe it was from shatner's input Hmm. i do want to talk about the end of this episode where kirk is like beaming down to the planet Mm -hmm. and he's trying to convince dr danner to help him as i mentioned two people get struck by lightning on the (laughs) enterprise one is gary mitchell and he gains this godlike power pretty much instantly but for some reason dr danner also gets struck by lightning and Mm -hmm. she's not taking a sick bay no no like not that's, like like not at all that's true i guess because she she was recovered. fine like she, she, she woke seemingly up recovered yeah. right and she away. didn't have the crazy eyes she didn't have the eyes right away but neither right. did gary mitchell yeah he turned around and they were like my eyes so that's why they took him to the oh yeah. jesus okay <laughs> <laughs> okay that's funny so yeah so she didn't have the eyes right yeah she didn't have the eyes right away i just thought it was interesting that nobody remembered that she was struck and she mm. never complained about it. And nobody even suspected her to be affected. Kirk is spending all this time with Gary Mitchell in the hospital. And this is where we're learning about Kirk's background. Mm. And and Mitchell even says, and it hurts Kirk's feelings, that he aimed this like blonde woman towards Kirk. Uh, and Kirk was like, I almost married her. You know, classic. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm thinking carol marcus that's the carol marcus that they're referencing so this is another like important moment yeah that just to acknowledge how famous these episodes are that like this is what writers are drawing from in the future because of how great all this writing was or and just how like classic it was you know of course kirk's banging some blonde chick you know but i love the idea that kirk almost married somebody yes that early on in his life his academy days he's like he's serious to... with a girl and so i, I love also... that vulnerability for him oh i, <laughs> like, oh, I love it so and I, it also makes me think that like oh man she must have been amazing because it broke kirk and it made him like bang all these people right. i say people because he's 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 totally pan he's banging Spread everyone the word. <laughs> with poor dr danner mm-hmm. um <laughs> Kirk's spending all this time with Mitchell. And and of course, because Mitchell's pretty disturbing, he's reading really fast, oh you know. Oh, my and God. It's, uh, his eyes are really, like, looking like marbles. <laughs> the thing is, the way that Dr. Dana was showing her symptoms was that she was suddenly incredibly attracted to Mitchell. You know, and I never even thought of that. in the first part of the episode, so she right. was, like, not, she did not want That's true. And to she, flirt with him. She did a whole, and I thought that came Even though more... he grabbed her arm, she didn't want him to. That's true. I thought that that came more, though, from a place of empathy for his situation. Like, I think she became more attracted to him the more she learned about his mind and about his, like, sudden abilities. Like, when she went into the... When she went to sickbay and was sort of psychoanalyzing him, like, trying to take But he was being a dick. Yeah, he was being a dick. I think that somewhere in her mind, she was, like, placing empathy on him, maybe because she already knew that she had this power, too. Maybe she just hadn't told well, I anyone. I think because they had the same power. That, In my opinion, that's the only reason she was ever attracted to yeah. him, was because it was this chemical yes. thing happening in her brain. He's kind of charming, but you know, besides the walking Fraser unit comment, <laughs> yeah. he's kind of he's kind of charming. Like I kind of like him. I can see why him and Kirk are friends before mm-hmm. this alien thing launches into his brain. Yeah, yeah. She's suddenly acting womanly. That's the red flag because she was not doing it before. She not womanly, but she's flirting and she's like throwing I didn't herself. Think of that. She's throwing herself all over him. 
Um, but that's not like her. That's no. not who she is. But none of the crew even flinch. And I think about Next Generation. Mm-hmm. They, we, Rihanna, <laughs> Rihanna and I kind of have a joke that throughout <laughs> the series, that everybody gets smarter. Yeah. So. Every series gets a, they take less time to figure out whatever mystery is going on. Yeah. Like if you gave the cast, if you gave the original series, like Enterprise, like the OG Enterprise, not even Enterprise A, the Enterprise mm-hmm. crew, a plot from next generation like say time escape yeah time i was just gonna say they're caught in a time loop Mm -hmm. and don't realize they're having the same day over and over again and their ship like blows up every day yeah yeah they they would never realize it and they would they would just die (laughs) yeah forever they would just sort of be like maybe spock would try to figure it out but they're just it seems like (laughs) their deductive reasoning gets way better each series yeah they don't have the science you know they're they're like a lesser yeah but also like their 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 communication and like organization is so much worse (laughs) like you know they're just not as meticulous as as the later shows go but anyway it's also harmful because she's new to the enterprise so that's even worse so no one even knows her yeah because i would think like so i mean i have i have friends who like never flirt you Mm -hmm. know and like if they were suddenly like flirting you're like uh, it's true you're like whoa like this is a yeah. big change you know like they must you really know. like this person but i don't really think that was the case because again mitchell was being terrible but so but that just is is something that is interesting um and none of the crew cares about because oh she's just acting like a woman acts exactly and so i think giving her like that subtlety is really important in the end of the episode kirk is able to pretty much convince her to sacrifice herself Mm-hmm. for the sake of this entire planet in order to yeah. stop Mitchell. Like, that's amazing because we think that she's fully on his side and fully attracted to him and ready to sort of rule the world with him. But Kirk appeals to her morals and appeals to that humanity still inside of her. And it's such a beautiful speech. Mm-hmm. It could rival Picard's, honestly, like yeah. any of Picard's speeches. I, I do think that's that's a really beautiful Kirk speech he gives. <laughs> it's yeah. really lovely, yeah. yeah. There's a ton of, like, even more classic Star Trek moments. Kirk mm. rips his shirt while he's fighting yes. Gary Mitchell. Um, and he Kirk rolls, and he Kirk chops. He does all the yeah. Kirk things. Every Kirk move. Um, <laughs> there's also a first rando death. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't have a red shirt on, but he's a random person mm-hmm. who dies. You know, it's when uh, Spock, Kirk, and Larry beam down to a planet. <laughs> who do you think beaming back? Mm. Uh, it's not Larry. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Larry's not coming back. I also, I want to really cite the music in both the cage and mm. uh, where no man has gone before. Alexander Courage is, I, re- I really love the iconic music. It's cheesy, but it really gets the theme across. And it's really prevalent in these pilots. With your music degree. <laughs> like I hear you talk <laughs> a lot about like motifs and stuff that certain characters yes. have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you hear, but you know that Kirk and Spock are rolling around the mud somewhere on Vulcan. The music has such a great hand in creating an atmosphere of suspense. When Kirk decides, he says, I'm not, you know, Spock is injured. I'm not waking him up. Just wake me up. I'm going down. I'm going to fight this guy. I'm going to fight my best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to put the ship above my best friend. And that is something else that sets Kirk apart. Incredible. We talked about how Pike is devoted to his duty. Mm-hmm. I, on- I don't think 
I don't think Kirk is really rooted in duty the same way that Pike mm. is. Kirk is competitive. Yeah. And he's smart and he loves his command. I mean, yeah. it's where he belongs. And yeah. like you he see it right away. Yeah. He's so comfortable in his role. Mm-hmm. But I think that also it's really interesting contrast because we have talked a lot about how Pike and Kirk are similar in these two episodes. But I think one of the main differences is that there's not the wariness mm-hmm. that we see mm-hmm. in Pike with no. Kirk. And I, and I think it's a good call. I think mm-hmm. because Kirk seems vivacious. I also think it's interesting because with the reboots so prevalent, it's a very, it features a very like young Kirk mm-hmm. taking command of the Enterprise. True, and this Kirk is not young. I mean, William Shatner was like thirty five, which mm-hmm. which is hilarious because in you know in Hollywood these days that's incredibly old. Right, you know it, totally. It, if we made a st- well, and we are literally making Star Trek episodes right now, yes. everyone's <laughs> on, like thirty and mm-hmm. below. Yeah, yeah, like I. Well, besides our. Lord I mean, and Savior Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, but like <laughs> everyone else on the show is their combined age is like twenty six. As a result, you get a more experienced, seasoned Kirk, mm-hmm. um, someone who's worked for his position, yep. and someone who loves it and is doing anything to keep it. Yeah, anything. And that's why it's so much harder to watch him have to kill one of his friends. Yeah, like that is horrible well at least he doesn't do it he just convinces someone else to do it but he's the one who i know in the end yeah. collapses the rock that kills mitchell oh, you're right so i think oh, that geez. he wanted no one else to carry that burden he knew that's why he didn't bring one of the reasons he didn't bring spock mm-hmm. probably i think that he knew that this was sort of a fight that needed to be done between him and mitchell and it's heartbreaking because we don't see Kirk have a vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. And when we do in the series, it's very poignant. But in this episode, we don't see it. We don't see that vulnerability because he keeps it under these walls and he keeps his desire and his love for command as sort of a protective shield that comes with being a captain. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. And even when Spock is first talking to him and saying you know the option is to kill him. Like, that is your only Spock other... had surprising brutality in this episode. It is But I, I also think it's kind of a mark of how serious the situation was. Absolutely. If and... we really take seriously Spock's opinion. And how serious Spock was also about protecting the ship and mm-hmm. protecting Kirk as yeah. well. And I think that a lot of Spock's motivation comes from, of course, the logical choice and what is going to help the needs of the many versus the needs of the few, you know? And he knows those sacrifices. Gary Mitchell says it later. He's like, yeah. you should have killed me, Kirk. And mm-hmm. Kirk's like, like, Would you say that watching The Cage was as important as watching Where No Man Has Gone Before if you're starting Star Trek and starting from the original series? No. Nope. Skip it. Really? Skip it. You think so? Watch The Menagerie. Hmm. But I think we don't get the full context of the menagerie if we don't watch the cage. We don't get that emotional arc that we would otherwise get. Really? Yeah. I disagree. I'm very strong on this point. Wow, interesting. <laughs> no, I totally disagree. I think that if you're watching Star Trek for the first time, mm-hmm. you want to watch good Star Trek. And not mm-hmm. that the cage is bad. The cage is not a bad episode. But you do kind of like lose some steam. <laughs> 
after when you're about three-fourths of the way through. It's a long one. And I could see that being a little tiring. Where No Man Has Gone Before was ranked so high. Like, so many websites had put this very high on their list. Some people said this was in the top five best episodes of all time. And I really agree with that. It was an excellent episode and very intriguing. And if you are a modern viewer of Star Trek, you're craving that kind of continuity. They have so much depth and so much detail. And seeing that from Kirk, I think just jump right to it and just watch some really good, iconic Star Trek. You know, I really respect that. I think that definitely if you're a new viewer who's a little bit tentative for Star Trek, then definitely start where no man has gone before. But I think that in the terms of Trek history, the cage is very important and I think that even though of course Star Trek was going for a model that wasn't continuitous and didn't have overarching series themes but they still went back to Mm -hmm. it and I think that that's really that says something about sort of the statement of the cage they wanted it to be seen they wanted to revive it and I think that that's kind of important and no it's not necessarily necessarily something I would go and leisurely watch for fun. I would probably leisurely watch Where No Man Has Gone Before, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> we we yeah. disagree, but I but I we also totally both ag- agree. Under, with agree, your yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, it it was a genuine pleasure to watch both of these episodes completely, and I just. It just refuels, if if it's even possible, my love of Trek. And Honestly. I'm just so excited to be launching the series. Yeah. And I'm excited to be going through a lot of these ideas. And we look forward to hearing feedback. Yeah. And, um, you know, how boring were we today? Or do we have <laughs> people on our level? I, I, I'm excited to find out. <laughs> yes, me too. And thank you all for listening. And we cannot yes. wait to talk about... Encounter at Farpoint, ah. the next generation pilot. OMG, Q is coming. Q is coming. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. We hope you can join us next time when we review the next generation pilot, Encounter at Farpoint. In the meantime, please check out our social media under the name The Dura Sisters Podcast, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please visit our Patreon under the same name where you can become a patron and donate monthly to hear reviews of the new episodes in the Lower Deck series, fun quizzes, and more. The music you heard in our introduction was by Jerry Goldsmith called Klingon Battle, and our outro is Wars Revenge by Arturo Voltaire. And as I said to my Klingon hairdresser, maybe today is a good day to die.